Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you and get, and get to worship in the house of the Lord this morning. My name is Amy Winkle. I am the rector here at Emmanuel, and just so thankful that we get to start this Advent season together. I don't know about you all, but I'm, I'm kind of a little bit like, whoa, it's Advent. Like, <laughs> how did that happen? Um, but I will admit, like, I'm uh, over Thanksgiving, our whole family got COVID. So we're still a little bit re- readjusting to, to life in, in, in normal, normal life again. So maybe that's why I'm a little bit like, huh, it sort of snuck up on me. Um, but it's, it seems like it's want to do that uh, year after year, right, as we kind of come into this season. So I want to I want to kind of orient us into this season of Advent, and and kind of speak to where we are going to try to lean in as a church together. So this time of Advent is kind of leading us up to the Christmas season, and and calling us to as we've talked about already this morning, kind of wait and anticipate and prepare for Jesus's coming among us. And so as we enter into Advent. What we want to do is we want to make space for Jesus to come. We want to intentionally make room within our hearts and within our lives for his arrival, for his coming. So here's what we want to do. We want to, like, we want to really be intentional during this season in times of prayer. And so we have come up with a, um, a prayer guide, an Advent prayer guide, that you can find um, online. You can download it from the website from our Advent resources. So emmanuelatl.org slash Advent. Go there and find the prayer guide. And so what this prayer guide is going to do is it's going to give us um, ways to engage in prayer during this Advent season. So we have one guided prayer in the guide per week. So in, around things like waiting and listening and turning. And then we have ways that we can each um, like actually participate in this guide Um, depending on how it works best for you. We're going to be having morning prayer every Monday during Advent at 7 a.m. here at the church. So if you want to do in-person prayer with other people, I invite you to come to that. Um, That is one way to to engage in this prayer time. Another way is on Tuesdays mornings on Zoom. Our our prayer team that normally gathers on on Tuesdays on Zoom at 7 a.m. are also going to be praying through this prayer guide as well. Or if you want to take it and do it in your own time and in your own way, you can do it that way as well. But, so all these different spaces where we can engage, but we're all kind of engaging in a similar way, is how we want to try to make space for Jesus. And so if your heart feels drawn in that way, I just encourage you to, to think of ways to be intentional during this season. And what this is not meant to do, and I want you to hear me say this, this is not meant to just be something that you just add to your to-do list that you can then check off. Because Lord knows we all have long to-do lists during this time of the season. And that our culture tends to like ramp up during this time and add lots of things to our calendar. And so that is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is an opportunity to stop, an opportunity to rest in the midst of what is a very hectic season. And to make space for Jesus and to see what he might want to say to us and what he might want to do in our hearts and in our lives. And so I just invite you to think of ways to make space for him during this season and and call us to do that together because I think that's really important. 
All right, so now we're going to move into our text um, for this morning. And actually, during the season of Advent, we are going back to the Old Testament. Yay? Anybody else excited? Woohoo! 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 Last year, <laughs> last year we were in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, during Advent. Um, this year, we're going to be back in, in the Old Testament, but this time we're going to the, the book of Micah. So let's talk a little bit about Micah. Um, give, let me give you a little bit of an intro into it. So Micah um, was thought to be an elder um, in the southern kingdom of Judah. So now if we like think about our biblical history here, um, there was the United Kingdom under King David and, and King Solomon that then and after King Solomon with the rules of his sons broke apart into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So that then when we get to the time of the prophets, we see the prophets talking to the northern kingdom, talking to the southern kingdom, and saying, you're not following in the ways of Yahweh, and calling the rulers of the day to turn from the ways that they were going, to turn back to, um, to the ways of Yahweh, so that they can walk in righteousness before him. So like other prophets, we see Micah giving stern warnings to the rulers and the leaders in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom to turn and to repent, to turn to the ways of Yahweh or else destruction and judgment will come. But unlike some of the other prophets, like say like Isaiah, Micah is not in Jerusalem proper. He actually is living in the countryside outside of Jerusalem, probably likely in a border town that's currently under threat from the enemy that's coming toward Jerusalem. So in the first three chapters, what we see in the book of Micah is him calling out the leaders of Jerusalem for not living according to the way of Yahweh, and he's calling them to repent. He's calling them to turn, to turn around, to do something different. And then when we get to chapter 4, where our text starts today, the message suddenly shifts away from this like call of the, for them to repent to Micah then painting this picture of what, what will be. This, uh, this new reality that will be that's different than the current one. And this is what we see as the role of the prophet. Walter Brueggemann says, it is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination to keep on conjuring and proposing future, futures alternative to the single one the king wants to urge as the only thinkable one. And so what we see in the, in the books of the prophets is this kind of what we call a prophetic imagination that is able to call out what is the reality of the day while also pointing to God's reality, the reality of the kingdom of God. And to be able to call, excuse me, call our imaginations forth. So basically what the prophets remind us is that a kingdom that is ruled by God looks very different from the kingdoms of this world. And so what they want to do is kind of paint this picture for us so that we can see it. So that we're not just like mired in our own day to day, but we can look beyond that and see with our imaginations the kingdom of God, the future hope. And that's where we find our text today. So let's turn to Micah chapter 4. And we're going to read the first five verses. He says this. In days to come, 
The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees And no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk, each in the name of its God. But we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this season of Advent where we get to stop and to wait and prepare for you. We thank you for the words of the prophet who calls our hearts and our minds and our imaginations toward your kingdom, toward your rule and your reign. And so, God, would you speak to us in these moments? Would you speak through your word, Lord, and enliven our hearts? Would you speak hope to us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we come to a text like this in Advent, um, because Advent is situated in such a way as to have us sit in our current reality, while also calling forth our imagination for a renewed reality a redeemed reality that God creates himself. Now, I just want to say that it always catches me off guard that this is how we start Advent, right? Like, my organizational brain wants to be like, well, let's talk about the incarnation first, and then we'll get to, like, the days to come. Like, that would just kind of make more sense. And yet, Advent from the very beginning pulls our attention to the last things before we even get to the nativity, Because Advent is not just about Jesus' first coming, but also about the hope of his second coming. And that is meant to be a comforting thing to the church. The idea of Jesus' coming back is meant to bring us hope. Now, but I want us to like stop for a minute and to say, has that always been the case? I don't know about your experience, but like for me... Growing up and hearing about Jesus' second coming wasn't always, didn't always feel very hopeful. It, also, it all, really, a lot of times, felt kind of scary. Anybody else? Anybody watch Thief in the Night, the movie? Anybody see that? <laughs> Just me? Okay. So, um, usually at a youth lock-in, I don't know why. But <laughs> lock us in and show us a scary movie about the end times, you know? Um, I'm not sure why. But that's kind of like what, that's what the church 
has done in it just but just in the last um, couple of centuries. Um, is that right? Yeah. Um, just like kind of 19th, 20th century, like is sort of where that started. This idea of like Jesus coming back is this like scary thing that we have to like look for the signs for to be sure we're ready when it happens. Because if we're not ready then we're going to be in trouble. And when Jesus comes, then everything's just going to be wiped out and destroyed, and there's going to be death and destruction. It's going to be awful. So why in the world would that fill us with hope? Right? Unless the church has known something else throughout time, and that it comes to Advent in, in this place of saying, no, actually, Jesus coming back is a very hopeful thing. Because what happens when Jesus comes back is that he renews all things. That he makes things new again. That he redeems his creation to be as he intended it to be. And that, church, is hope. That we don't have to sit where we sit today in feelings of despair looking at the ways that the world is broken. But we can look toward this hope of Jesus coming back and making it right again, of speaking truth into it absolutely, and at the same time redeeming it to make it new again. And so that's when we come to this vision in Micah 4. That's what it's showing us. It's showing us this vision of this creation that is being renewed, and that is being restored. So let's sit in the text as Micah would have thought about it, and then we'll bring it into our own context. So for Micah, he sees the abuses that are happening in his day. He sees how the leaders of Judah are not doing the right thing, how they're exploiting the people for their own gain. And he's warning them to change their ways. He can also see the threat of the other armies coming toward them, to coming, coming to take out Jerusalem, and they are a very real threat. So what we see in Micah is someone who is willing to have his eyes open, to see what is real and what is happening right in front of him, to speak to the injustice that he sees, to not shy away from that, and yet in the midst of that also offer a sense of hope about the kingdom of God, this kingdom where God reigns. The, that the kingdoms of this world are not the final reality, but that it's God's kingdom that is the final reality, this future in which we can all hope. So what is it that Micah says about this kingdom ruled by Yahweh? What does it look like? He says, in the days to come, that it is the Lord's house that will sit on the highest mountains, that he is the true king who has come to reign. And, but what does this reign actually entail? What is this picture that he is um, drawing for us, that he's showing us? It's showing many people, the different nations, coming and saying, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. There's not a sense of, like, limitedness, but instead this sense of, like, universalness, of, like, this, like the nations can come. It's not just for certain people, but all are invited all are welcome to come to the mountain of the Lord. And so the scope has greatly increased. And what is it that they're going to do? They're going to come and be instructed 
by the Lord. The Lord has this the role of being a teacher, an instructor, one who teaches and instructs. And I just love this picture of God because he's, what he's teaching them is how to walk in his ways. What does it look like to be the creation that he intended? To walk in the ways that he wants us to walk so that we know how to live in ways that are constructive rather than destructive. That we can live for our own good and for the good of others. Now, I want us to step back for a minute and think about where Mike is sitting. If he's sitting in this place where there are foreign armies that are coming toward him and coming toward Jerusalem, the idea that he can look out and instead of seeing them as the enemy, see them coming to Jerusalem in peace, to be taught the ways of the Lord. Can you see that, how that is a prophetic imagination? How that's looking beyond the current reality that he's sitting in to say, this can look different. This can be different. And so we see this picture of God instructing the nations in the ways that he's created them to be. In this picture of Micah, the Lord is also a judge. But instead of a judge who's doling out harsh penalties, what it calls him is an, actually an arbitrator. Now, what do we know about arbitrators? They are ones that bring parties together to hear both sides and to find a way forward in which both can flourish, flourish together. He's mediating between the nations bringing the parties together and seeking fairness and justice. And what I think he's drawing, what he's drawing this picture of here for us is this picture of the kingdom of God that is not a zero-sum economy. Anybody? Y'all know zero-sum economy is the economy that we live in or we say we live in, which is this idea of that resources are limited. And therefore, if I gain something, it means that you lose something. Or if you gain something, then I lose something. And it's in this mindset that we live and breathe today. It's under this assumption that we live in a zero-sum economy. And yet, the reality is, in the kingdom of God, it is not a zero-sum economy. Why? Because the resources are unlimited. There's not a sense of limit to God. And therefore, if you are flourishing, that means I'm flourishing. If I am flourishing, that means you are flourishing. Healing and redemption that comes into your life is good for all of us. Healing and redemption that comes into my life is good for all of us. And therefore... We don't have to compete with one another. We don't have to be in constant warfare with one another. And then that's why then Micah is able to go on and to say that the result of this, the result of the nations coming to Yahweh, hearing his instruction, being arbitrated by, the, by Yahweh himself, means that then our weapons of warfare get laid down. That the spears and the swords of this world become then 
um, tools by which we can build things together. The spears and the swords, the weapons of war, will be turned into plowshares, into pruning hooks, which are actually agricultural tools meant to bring life. So tools of destruction becomes tools for cultivating and bringing things to life. And this is the great reversal. That no longer are things torn apart, but instead they can be built up. And then it says here that the people will no longer learn war. But instead they are learning Torah. They learn the law, which is how to live with God and how to live with each other. So then, so all of this is actually interesting that this whole, this whole passage here that we've just walked through is actually almost verbatim what we see in Isaiah 2. And so actually this was what we talked about in Advent, the first um, Sunday of Advent last year was Isaiah 2. These same words we find also in the book of Micah. Now, um, commentators kind of like to debate, you know, like scholars love to debate about things like which came first, Isaiah come first or did Micah come first? And who in the world knows? Um, but what I think is interesting, there was one commentator who said, maybe this was a hymn. And isn't that an interesting thought? What if these words were actually a hymn that the community sang, that the community shared together? to raise their imagination about what this world could be like if Yahweh is ruling and reigning. So much so, and so deep did it go into their consciousness that we see it not just in one prophet, but in two different prophets. And like, that's why we, that's why we sing songs. That's why we sing hymns. That's why we share these things together as a way of raising our imagination in such a way that it, like Yahweh can capture our imagination, that the Lord can capture our hearts and our imaginations together. These last couple of verses, though, um, Micah adds on himself. Like this, we find it in Micah, but we don't find it in Isaiah. When he says, They will sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. Can you hear that imagery? Sitting under the trees sitting under the vines, and no one makes them afraid. When we think about where Mike is situated, it, kind of, it makes sense, doesn't it? If he's in the countryside, and if he's in a place where there are opposing armies coming toward him, the idea of being able to sit under the trees and not be afraid is a really beautiful picture. This is real imagery, and this is the prophet speaking to a future hope giving a vision of what can and will be. So let's think about where Micah sits and these images that he's conjuring up. These ideas of many people streaming to the mountain of the Lord, hearing God's instructions and choosing to follow his ways rather than the ways of war and destruction. And what I want to say is this is not a means of escapism, but in truly believing that this is the way of the Lord. At no point is Micah just burying his head in the sand and acting like terrible things are not happening. Instead, he's calling out those things, but at the same time, also giving words and pictures for this true reality to come. 
Now, the question then becomes, for those of us living today, how do we engage in this idea of prophetic imagination? Not trying to like read the signs to see what's going to happen, to see if we can guess and have some kind of certainty around how the Lord is going to work all of this, these things out. But instead, how might we expand our hearts and our imaginations in such a way that we can hope for the reality of God's rule and reign? This season of, of Advent and leading up to Christmas as a culture can just call us into escapism, right? It's really easy to try to, to get, feel like we need to get like hung up in sentimentality, to like kind of pretend like everything's okay when it's not okay. To pretend like, you know, everything's great. That's, I'm supposed to feel this way. Anybody? Like, you kind of hear, hear the, the signs of the times, and it's like, no, 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 everything's good. Everything's good. But what does it look like to stand in the traditions of the prophets and in the midst of Advent and call forth a prophetic imagination? To resist this sense of sentimentality and into instead to name and to grieve what is hard and wrong and destructive in our world, while at the same time having an imagination to say, this is not what God intended, and there is a day coming when he is going to set it right again. The hope that Jesus is coming again. That is the hope that we carry into Advent Tish Harrison Warren says, Advent reminds us that awaiting the final coming of Jesus is and has always been the essential posture of every Christian. I'm going to say it again. Advent reminds us that awaiting the final come of Jesus is and has always been the essential posture of every Christian. So what does that look like for us in this current moment that we live in? I mean, it's not hard, right, to look around and to see war and destruction, to see divisiveness. One that seems worlds away from this picture that Micah is drawing for us here in chapter 4. Not unlike his day, there's war and death that's happening again. Even in the same region of the world where he was situated, right here in the Middle East. And so what does it look like for us to be faithful in the midst of it? I've been asking myself that question for the last few weeks now. As we've watched things deteriorate in the Middle East, what does it look like for us to be faithful? And for me, what it's looked like is to do my best to not turn away from it. To not try to rush to figure it out in such a way that then I can just sort of move on and brush it aside. But instead, be willing to listen and to grieve, to grieve the loss of life among the Israelis and among the Palestinians, to recognize the pain and to choose not to just numb out, to admit that it's hard. And in the tradition of the prophets, we are called to sit with this reality, to grieve it, and to say, this isn't right. This isn't what God intended. And then to start to move toward imagining 
a different reality. One that's not zero-sum, that has to be like winners and losers. But one that can imagine and work toward the flourishing of all people. This is what Advent calls us to, to look into a world where there's death and war and destruction and to look for hope, to call us to hope. Knowing that Jesus is present in the midst of tragedy and suffering and yet at the same time get to pray into a future hope. We get to pray that the kingdom of God would come on earth as it is in heaven. That the weapons of war would be turned into tools that bring life. And this, my friends, is not wishful thinking. This is Advent thinking. To sit in the already and the not yet. To sit in the middle of both realities. To say, I can see the hard, and I'm not going to numb out from it, but I can also look for the hope, look for Jesus in the midst of it. And this is true in all areas of life, your life and my life, in the places where we know that things are not as they should be, where things feel dark and scary. What does it look like to hold that space before the Lord And to pray for the light to come. This week, in the midst of our guided prayer, what we're going to be doing is we're going to hold vigil. And this is one of my favorite things to do in Advent. To hold vigil. We're going to sit in the dark. And we're going to wait for the light to come. Sitting in the dark means that we don't run away from the things that are hard and that are broken in the midst of this world right now that would call us to sentimentality, we're going to say, no, things aren't as they should be. But it also means looking for the light and church, believing that it will come. Amen? That God has not left us here, but that there is a kingdom that is coming that has the final say that's going to make it right again, that's going to make this world new again. And so I invite you this week to hold vigil. And as we continue to light the first candle of Advent, which we did this morning, this is our hope candle. We start out Advent with hope. May we pray for an imagination to not only see what is, but to also be able to see and to name and to hope for what will be. The kingdom of God, which will get the last word. So we pray, come Lord Jesus. Lord, would you come among us, we pray, in this Advent season. God, would you help us to be faithful people who can look at this world and name its brokenness while also at the same time looking and believing and waiting for your light to come. Would you give us your grace, Lord, to be able to do both of those things well?
Would you give us imaginations, God, to not just see what's right in front of us, Lord, but see your kingdom coming, to see your will being done on earth as it is in heaven, God. What does it look like for us to be faithful people in the midst of that reality? Would you call us forth, Lord? Would you give us your strength? Would you give us your grace and your mercy, Lord? To believe that our flourishing coexists with the flourishing of others. Broaden our, our imaginations, God. And we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. In Jesus' name, amen.